0: Amen. I'm going to, uh, if you want to head start on some scriptures that I'm going to start with, uh, let me give them to you real quickly. Romans chapter 1, uh, John chapter 8, Psalm 107, and Hebrews chapter 4. Romans chapter 1, John chapter 8, Psalm 107, and Hebrews chapter 4. I want to start with Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul's writing to the church at Rome and he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, uh, Greek meaning Gentile. This word salvation is an all-inclusive term. It means to rescue, it means to deliver, it means to save, and it means to heal. As a matter of fact, as we've uh, stated on numerous occasions, Dr. Schofield, the great uh, Baptist theologian, in his the footnotes to his, um, uh, in his Bible um, concerning this verse of scripture he points out the the inclusiveness and the the fourfold um well he adds one other he says it means it also means to make safe or sound uh, but he talks about how that this word salvation is an all-inclusive term and he specifically identifies healing as a part of the meaning so paul says and i want to read it that way for i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god to heal everyone that believes now healing's not all there is but it's it's included power of God to heal everyone that believes, both Jew and Gentile. Notice that Paul does not say, I've got good news for you that you can be saved or you can be healed. He said the power of God is, or the gospel of Jesus, is the power of God to heal. Now what is the gospel of Jesus? Well, it's the word of God revealed to us about what Jesus has done. So instead of Saying the gospel of Jesus or the good news of Jesus, which is what the word gospel means. We understand that's talking about the word of God, don't we? The gospel is the word of God, isn't it? Can you separate the good news of what Jesus has done for us from the word of God? Can you have the word of God without including the good news of Jesus? Can you have the good news of Jesus and it not be the word? Well then let's, for the sake of definition, for the sake of understanding, let's say it that way. The word of God... Concerning Jesus' sacrifice is the power of God to heal. It is the power of God to heal. It doesn't contain the power of God to heal. It is the power of God to heal. It doesn't give us information about the power of God to heal. It is the power of God to heal. Psalm 107 verse 20 says, He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Fenton's translation along with others say, He sent His word and it healed them. But even without that translation, you understand he's talking about the word being the healing agent, don't you? He sent his word and healed them. How did he heal them? By sending his word. And delivered them from their destructions. So here he's saying in Psalm 107 in the Old Testament, even before we knew about Jesus, even before Jesus accomplished his work on the cross and resurrection, the Bible is telling us that the word of God is the means, is the agent, is the healing and delivering force of God. For healing and delivering power of God. He sent his word and it healed them. And delivered them from their destructions. John chapter 8. Verses 31 and 32. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And he said. Or speaking to the Jews. Verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Now notice these are believers. They, nobody can be saved yet. Because he hadn't been to the cross and paid the price. For salvation. But these are believers. These are people that have salvation. Credited to them or maybe a better way to say that is they're in line for salvation as soon as the price is paid. They believe that God sent Jesus. They believe that he is the, the Messiah. They believe in everything that's necessary to be saved once he sheds his blood. Then said Jesus to those Jews that believed on him. If you continue in my word. If you continue in my word. Then are you. Uh, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. The key to being free from sickness is to know the truth from the word. He makes a distinction between disciples and believers. I think that's a good distinction to make today. He said to the believers, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Disciples are doers of the word. Disciples are the ones that live by the word and not just believe in the good news of who Jesus is and that God sent him to the earth. You might be interested to remember that Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of all men. He didn't say get people saved. He said make disciples of them. How do we make disciples? We turn them into word people. We turn converts, new believers, into doers of the word. At least that's what Jesus said. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth? How are you going to know the truth? There's only one way you can get the knowledge of the truth, and that's from the Word of God. And you shall know the truth, and what does the knowledge of the truth do for you? It sets you free. Well, in what area? In every area. To be set free from in the area of healing or in the area of sickness is to be healed, isn't it? Where does that power to be set free from sickness come from? From the Word. Why? Because the Word of God is the power of God to heal. The Word of God is the power of God to heal. It doesn't contain the power of God to heal. It is the power of God to heal. Finally, in Hebrews chapter 4, Paul, the same one that wrote to the Romans and said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. In our um, For our purposes tonight, the power of God to heal. To everyone that believes. Paul said, the same person wrote in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, he said, For the word of God is quick and powerful. Waymo's translation says, full of life and power. Now folks, I want you to understand something. If something is full of anything, there's no room for anything else. That's what full means, isn't it? And what does Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, say about the word of God? It is full of life and power. That means there's no shortage and there's no room for anything else. No shortage, no lack, no no missing parts, no missing pieces. It's as full of life and power as it something could possibly be. Well, what's full of life and power? The word is. Well, power for what? Power for anything. But that anything certainly includes healing. Now it goes forward, it goes further, and tells us about the power of God that it's full of. The word of God is full of po- li- uh, full of life and power. And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If you'll allow me to just uh, for the sake of, of time and, and understanding, let me just summarize that. He says the word of God is full of life and power, and it divides between spirit, soul, and body. Well, now, why would he talk about the Word of God dividing between spirit, soul, and body when he's talking about being quick and powerful or full of life and power? Because he's saying the Word of God is quick and powerful or full of life and power for anything you need spiritually, in the soulless realm, or in the physical realm. The Word of God contains anything and everything you're going to need concerning power to produce anything spiritually in your soul or in your body. Now, Jesus talked about the word of God being a seed. In Mark chapter 4, and I won't go through this whole thing, but I'll remind you of some things that I I take for granted that you know. Jesus spoke about a parable of the sower sowing a word, sowing the word or sowing the seed. And his disciples came to him afterwards, after he told the the parable. And part of the parable was there were different types of ground that the seed fell in and some of them, one of them produced fruit and the others didn't. Four types of ground, one out of four produced something. And he explained why, or told a little bit about in the parable about why. But his disciples came to him and asked him about this parable. They said, explain to us more about this. They understood that there was something special about this story. Now you can find a lot of places where Jesus spoke in parables and the disciples didn't ask him to explain. I think it's interesting that in this case they did. Because Jesus asked them a couple of questions. He said, know you not this parable, and how then shall you know all parables? In other words, Jesus, the first thing Jesus says when they ask for an explanation is, this is the key to understanding everything. And then he says, unto you it is, is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. So in other words, what he's saying is, this parable, the, the truth behind this parable, is the key to understanding how the kingdom of God works. Well, we know that healing is a part of the kingdom of God because Jesus sent the disciples out at one point in his ministry and he said, go into every city that I send you, two by two, and heal the sick therein and say to them, the kingdom of God is coming to you. Well, why would he heal them? Why would he tell them or give them uh, authority to heal the sick and then tell them to to say that the kingdom of God is coming to you unless healing is a part and parcel of the kingdom of God? Those things wouldn't fit unless they're uh, intended to be connected together. He didn't say go heal the sick and say God is good. He said go heal the sick therein and the cities that will receive you. Go heal the sick therein and say unto them the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. So Jesus understood that they understood that the people would understand that healing showed forth the kingdom of God. Well, I wonder if things have changed. I wonder if the kingdom of God is different today than it was when Jesus was here on the earth. You think, I mean, a lot of the church world says that Jesus did healing miracles and so forth to prove that he was the son of God. But Jesus said for the disciples to go heal the sick and tell the people that they healed and the people of the cities in which the, the people were healed, the sick were healed, to tell them that the kingdom of God has come nigh unto them. You can't find anything in the, in the scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, that ever says the kingdom of God will change. Ever. There's nothing to that effect in any, in any form whatsoever. So if healing was a part of the kingdom of God when Jesus was here on the earth, what right does anybody have, me or you or anybody else, no matter how many degrees you might have, theological degrees or whatever, what right do any of us have to change what Jesus said was the sign of the kingdom of God? Does anybody have that right? I don't believe we do. I know a lot of people have take it upon themselves to exercise it, but I don't believe we have that right. So Jesus said, concerning this parable, He said, Unto you, it's uh, it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Well, that must mean the mystery of healing, too, then, doesn't it? If healing is part of the kingdom of God, and this is the mystery, this parable is the principle whereby the kingdom of God operates, then this is the principle whereby healing operates. Is that clear enough? Makes sense, doesn't it? So Jesus tells them the story. He gives them the parable. He tells them, first of all, He said, The sower sows the word. Now that's the important part in verse 14 he said the sower sows the word in other words the seed that's planted is the word of God same seed is planted in all four types of ground whereas only one type of ground produces any results well then what can we say can we say that the seed was defective in three-fourths of the, t- the, um, the time that it was planted no it, the problem's not ever the seed because the seed is the word of God and the seed is the power of God the word of God is his power and it's always available the problem is what ground takes care of it. The problem is what ground is it planted in and how is it taken care of after it's planted. So Jesus tells about the different types of ground. He tells about the wayside where it's immediately uh, taken away by the enemy. He tells about the stony ground where it doesn't have much moisture. In other words, it doesn't continue to be watered. Uh, that's a... that's a um, a way, a way in the parable to, to say that somebody hears it but then forgets about it and doesn't, doesn't continue in it. Remember, Jesus said to his disciples, if you continue in my word, or said to his, the believers, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. A lot of people hear the word and get excited about it but don't continue in it. Well, Jesus tells us in this parable that that won't produce results. Then he tells us about the thorny ground, that it starts to produce results, but then it gets choked out by other stuff growing along with it. In other words, some people take their attitude, have the attitude toward the Word of God, that that's great and it's good that there's that God has given us His Word and so forth, but then they mess it up with or mix it up with a lot of other things in the world. They don't give God the final authority or the final say on anything in their life. You'll see this a lot of times with people that bounce from church to church. They're looking for somebody to tell them what they want to hear or sell them something that makes them feel good, and they're really not putting the Word of God first. And so the, the results are minimal, if any, in that type of ground. But then Jesus says, um, what verse is it? Verse, my, uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 20. Jesus said, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold and some sixty and some a hundred, Now, he said that the key to producing fruit, for the word of God to produce fruit, for the word of God that is the power of God to heal, the key to receive healing or the key to to, uh, be successful in walking in healing and health is to hear the word and receive it. To hear the word and receive it. What does that mean? Well, folks, if the Bible tells us about keys to success, no matter if they're presented in different ways or different forms, they've all got to be tied in together. I know that I work, um, um, I give a great deal of effort to think of different ways to say things so that one way might appeal to somebody where another way might appeal to somebody else. I've had people come on numerous occasions and say, you know, I've heard what you said before about that a lot of times, but when you said it this way, that caused me to get it and hear it. Well, I'm always looking for different ways to say things, hoping that some way will stick with somebody. So the Bible does the same thing. The Bible says different things in different ways or says the same thing in different ways, really. And so this success in producing fruit or receiving healing or walking in health, whatever terminology you want to attach to it, has to be the same principles of success that other areas of the kingdom of God and and the things of God work on, don't they? Well, let's look at one. Look with me to Proverbs chapter 4. What does it mean to hear the word and receive it? What does it mean to be healed by the word or be successful in allowing the power of God's word to heal? And and folks, please understand that book that you're holding in your lap called the Bible, it contains the power of God to heal any and every affliction, no matter how incurable the medical science says it is. No matter how far advanced it is. No matter how long somebody's had it. No matter how rare the the uh, uh, the condition might be. The word of God is the power of God to heal. Everyone that believes. Everyone that believes. Now God doesn't pick and choose who believes. That's up to us. That's what Jesus is saying. The types of ground is people. The four types of ground are different types of people. And some people will give attention to the word. Will hear the word and receive it. And it will bring forth fruit in their lives. But other people will hear the same word. Have the same seed available to them. And not get any results. Because they don't give the same attention. They don't hear and receive the word as he describes. Well what does it mean to hear and receive the word? Proverbs chapter 4 verse 20. My son, attend unto my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them, my words, not depart from before your eyes. Keep them, my words, in the midst of your heart. For they are life unto those that find them. And health or healing to all their flesh. Notice what he says. He says the same thing we've talked about and established from other scriptures already in the New Testament old and new, that the word of God is the power of God to heal. The word of God is the power of God to heal. It doesn't contain the power of God to heal. It is the power of God to heal. See, a lot of people confess the word looking for power to come from some other source. The word is the power. God's word is his power to heal. But now how does it heal? Jesus said the word of God doesn't work for everybody. And the problem is not because God doesn't want it to work for everybody. The problem is not because the seed of God's word is not sufficient to produce results for everybody. The problem is not everybody gives attention to the word and does what is necessary, takes the steps necessary to walk in the blessings that the word of God says are ours. The problem is us, not God. Don't try to fix things on God's end. He's got things pretty well handled from there. The problem is always on our end. And that's what Jesus is saying the parable of the soul or so in the word is all about. It's about different people and their attitude toward the word. Their care toward the word. The prominence they give to the word. Their actions toward the word of God. So these are the things that the Bible says will bring health or healing to all your flesh. What does he say? He says, my son, attend unto my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Um, F.F. Bosworth in his uh, great book, Christ the Healer, says that there are three elements to hearing receiving the word that are identified in these scriptures in Proverbs chapter 4. First, the attentive ear. My son, attend unto my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. What does that mean? That means hear the word as more important than anything else you hear. It doesn't mean you can't hear anything else. It doesn't mean that you can't physically listen to or shouldn't physically listen to anything else in life. There, That would be impossible. Wouldn't it be silly for us to just put Headphones over our ears and not listen to anything except the Bible 24 hours a day. Some husbands might think that's a good idea. We could claim not to have heard a lot of things that our wives say that way, I guess, huh? But the Bible says that we're supposed to give attention to the word of God. In other words, no matter whatever else we hear, no matter whatever else is going on, we're supposed to give first place, place of priority, place of prominence to what God says about our situation. Now realize he's talking specifically here about healing. It works the same in every area, no matter what it is you need to receive. But these scriptures are talking specifically about receiving healing in your body. My son, attend unto my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. The second thing Brother Bosworth said is necessary is a steadfast look. Let them, my words, not depart from before your eyes. Let them, my words, not depart from before your eyes. The third thing he said it takes is an enshrined heart. Keep them my words in the midst of thee. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Why? For they are life unto those that find them. Please notice that the the Proverbs is saying the same thing Jesus said. Not everybody walks in the blessings that God wants them to have. Not everybody receives everything that God has for them. Not everybody's going to receive healing. Not everybody finds the word of God. Now, everybody can. But according to Jesus in the parable that he gave to us. It's because of our attitude toward the word. Or our lackadaisical attitude toward the word. Or our lack of attention toward the word. That keeps people from receiving the healing that belongs to all. Of the people of God. Now what happens when you give. An attentive ear. A steadfast look and an enshrined heart to the word of God. For they my words are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now do you realize to all their flesh means incurable conditions? All, my, all their flesh means anybody and everybody no matter what their situation is no matter how severe it is no matter how long they've had it no matter what the doctor says etc. Health to all their flesh doesn't leave anybody out. And in these scriptures it tells us the key for healing for all of our flesh comes down to one and only one thing, and that is finding the Word of God. Now, what does it mean to find the Word? Well, I read into that finding the truth of the Word of God for yourself. Taking the truth from the page of the Word of God, from the book that you're reading, to the reality in your own life. Don't you see something similar to that? For they, my words, are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Healing and health is not going to come to anybody except they find the truth of the Word. You shall know the truth. If you continue in my Word, then are you my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free from healing. The truth about healing will make you free from healing. Where do you find the truth about healing? In the Word. My words are life unto those that find them in health to all their flesh. Now, what are those three steps? An attentive ear. An attentive ear. That means to hear the Word of God first and foremost. Again, it doesn't mean it's the only thing that you hear. I wish we could go through life and not listen to all the other stuff that's going on around us. We're going to hear those things. Good things and bad things. True things and and false things. Appropriate things and inappropriate things. We're going to hear stuff around us all day long every day. But it means to give attention to what the Word of God says and accept that as truth. Now, I don't know about you, but when my kids were young particularly if we were in a crowd of people and the people were talking to my kids or, or their friends were around and distracting them and stuff like that, I didn't mind them enjoying the time of fellowship or whatever else was going on. But if I was talking to them, I wanted them to pay attention to what I was saying. Aren't you that way with your kids? No matter whatever else is going on and no matter what you do after I finish talking to you, if you're my son or my daughter and I'm talking to you, you better listen to what I'm saying and put that above anything and everything anybody else is telling If I say no, I don't care if your friends say all my folks said yes. If I say this is the way it's going to be, it doesn't matter to me what anybody else says, and it better not matter to you. Yeah, but dad, uh, Joey's going. Well, I don't care. I'm not Joey's dad. Yeah, but dad, everybody else is going. Everybody's going. Well, then we better make more room for everybody when they go. Because you ain't going. In other words, we expect our children to pay more attention to what we tell them because we're looking out for their best interests and we know what we're telling them is good and right and appropriate no matter whatever else they hear. Right? Why would we expect it to be any different with God? He's our Heavenly Father. And isn't that exactly what God is saying about His Word? Listen to my Word first and foremost. No matter whatever else anybody says... No matter what you hear from anybody else or any other source, listen to what I'm telling you because what I'm telling you is true. That's what it means to attend to his word. Incline your ear unto my sayings. What about the steadfast look? To look at the word of God above everything else. To keep the word of God before your eyes. Now I want you to, I'm, uh, we'll come back and talk about these uh, some of these things in uh, Proverbs chapter 4 a little bit more. But I want you to see some things about Abraham and his faith and Romans chapter 4. You don't have to turn here if you don't want to. I'll read it to you. Romans chapter 4 tells us about Abraham as being the father or example of faith. You know the story about how God had promised him to have a son. When he was 75 years old, he appeared to him and said, "Uh, follow me and go where I tell you to go and obey me and, and so forth, and I'll give you children. Well, 24 years have passed, and he hasn't had any children. Now he's almost 100 years old, and God appears to him, well, when he's 99 years old, he appears to him and says, you're going to have a son this time next year. Well, his body stopped functioning in the way that's necessary for him to have children. And Sarah, who's 10 years younger than him, her body has, stopped, has ceased to function in that manner too. So now it's like Abraham looks at himself and he looks at Sarah and then he says to God, well, it's too late. Our bodies don't work that way anymore. We're too old. And God doesn't seem to be bothered by that a bit. I've always taken great comfort in God not being concerned that Abraham was too old. As far as I'm concerned, I'm never going to be too old for anything. Abraham thought he was too old and God said, is that too hard for me? Well, I guess not. Well, now, how does Abraham, I mean, that sounds good. And I'm sure when God was appearing to Abraham and and he saw him and talked to him face to face, I'm sure he got really excited about the possibilities. That's like getting excited about the possibilities of walking in healing and health when you come to church, but then after church is over and the devil's there screaming in your ear, what are you going to do then? Abraham had the same things to fight and to face that we do. The physical fact is that his body is not functioning in a reproductive manner any longer. What is he going to do about that? What can he do about that? Well, the Bible tells us what he did. And it tells us that his is the example for us to follow. It says, I'm going to just pick out certain parts of this. Verse 19, it says, And being not weak in faith, he considered. The word consider means to look at intently. It doesn't mean to notice. It means to look at intently. In other words, the next two scriptures, verses 19 and 20, are going to tell us what he did look at and what he didn't look at. Now, remember, this goes back to Proverbs chapter 4. These have to be the same principles. Because these are the principles in Proverbs chapter 4 that brings healing and health to your body. We know Abraham walked in healing and health where receiving the promise of God was concerned and it changed his body. So these have to be parallel scriptures even though they're talked about in different ways. Have to be. God doesn't have 52 different principles and 52 different ways to receive something. He's got one way and that's the way of faith. So even though they're described in different terms they have to be the same principle in operation. So Abraham... Being not weak in faith, considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. I like the American Standard Version of verse 20. It says, but looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. In other words, he didn't look at his body. He didn't pay attention to. He didn't consider. He didn't focus on the fact that his body, the symptoms in his body or the condition of his body was contrary or contradictory to what the promise of God was. That doesn't mean he denied it. He's not standing there saying to his body that it's not what it really is. He's just not looking at that as the final authority. He's attending unto God's word. God said that I was going to have a son in a year. That'd make me almost 100 years old, Abraham says. Yet my body is not functioning in that way. He comes to the same position that you and I do, and that is we're going to have to pick and choose what we're going to believe. We're going to have to pick and choose what we look at. He chooses to believe what God said. Even though it contradicts every physical symptom in his physical body. Well, what does he do? How does he look away from his body? Or how does he keep his body, the symptoms of his body, or the the inability of his body in certain areas? How does he keep that from robbing him from what God has promised? Well, very simple. He recognizes what the condition of his body is, but he chooses to look at something else instead. He has a steadfast look at the promise of God instead of the physical afflictions and symptoms of his flesh. Now folks, if Abraham can choose to do that, you can too. And that's the reason why the Bible says Abraham is the father or the example for us of faith. You can choose to look at anything you want to. Don't tell me that it's too hard, I just there's just no way I can overcome this because the symptoms are too difficult or the pain is too great or whatever. Folks, I'm sorry whatever for whatever symptoms you may be experiencing. I'm sorry for the ones that I experience. But the fact is we still have the same choice. We can choose to look at and consider and focus on anything that we want to. Abraham chose to focus on the promise of God, and it worked. And that's why he's our example. He had a steadfast look at the promise of God, irrespective of the condition of his body. But looking under the promise of God, verse 20 again, but looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, I want to take you to another, verses, to another passage of Scripture. I want you to look with me to Jonah, chapter 2. You Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah is told by God to go to Nineveh, and he says, I don't want to go. I don't like Ninevites. This is his his excuse. This is his complaint. He says, God, if I go to Nineveh and tell them to repent, they're going to, and then you're going to save them, and I don't want you to save them. That's my kind of evangelist. They deserve hell, and so that's what they ought to get. God doesn't seem to appreciate that attitude, however. Because Jonah says, well, the only way I'm going to be able to get away from doing what God wants me to do is run. So he runs and he gets on the ship and goes the, the opposite direction. And you remember the story how the storm arose. And the, the sailors who are used to being out on the sea in the middle of storms and so forth, they recognize this is not a normal storm. This thing is caused by somebody having ticked God off. And so they start looking around the ship and Jonah says, yeah, it's me. I'm the problem. He said, the only way you can escape this is to throw me overboard. Now, what's interesting to me about this story is Jonah cared enough about the people for them to be saved by being willing to be tossed overboard. But he doesn't care enough about the Ninevites to go preach and do what God told him to do. So they throw him overboard. And the Bible says God prepared a great fish that swallowed him up. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been swallowed by a fish. I don't know exactly what that's like, but it doesn't sound too pleasant. I don't know how great that fish is. I mean, you know, we imagine it's a fish that's big enough for him to walk around, you know, living room over here, dining room over there. But that may not be the case. He may be crammed into the the gut of this fish. All we know is it was big enough to swallow him. That's all we know. The rest of it, we just imagine in ourselves. And apparently it was bad enough for Jonah to repent. Because in chapter 2, and I want to read this, only about 10 verses. But I want to read the whole chapter, of the uh, whole second chapter of Jonah. Because this is what Jonah prays in the middle of the fish. Now whatever your circumstances are, I would bet that they're not as bad as being in the belly of a fish. And no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what things you have that distract you and try to draw you away from the word of God to focus your attention on the circumstance or whatever the condition is or whatever, Jonah is surrounded by circumstance in the most literal way. There is absolutely no hope for Jonah. He's in the middle of the sea, swallowed by a giant fish. There is absolutely no hope for Jonah to have anything other than fish. That is his lot in life at this point, is fish. But notice what Jonah does. Then Jonah, verse 1, Jonah chapter 2, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord God out of the fish's belly and said, Now folks, you understand that as well as I do that Jonah is not transcribing this as it's happening. He is writing after the fact a record to us by the Holy Ghost of what took place. But notice that Jonah tells what he prayed. And notice the way that he prayed. Now we know that Jonah's end result is success he's delivered from his circumstances now his circumstances are not physical affliction or sickness but it's the same principle of faith the same principle that receives from God causes him to receive deliverance from God works in every area and remember Paul said in Romans 1 16 where we started the gospel of Jesus Christ or the word of God is the power of God unto salvation which means deliverance and healing So the same thing that brought deliverance to Jonah will bring healing to you. The same principle works. Again, God doesn't have a whole variety, you know, dozens of different principles to get what uh, Jesus has provided for us. He has one principle and that principle is called faith. Even though it may be described and manifest in different ways, the same principle or same foundation principles guide this thing called faith. So Jonah prayed and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Now, some of this stuff is prophetic about Jesus, but it still applies to Jonah. For thou had cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Now, again, as I said, some of this is relative to Jesus because some of the words that are used in the Hebrew don't mean things that are related to a fish being in the sea. He's talking about waves of God's wrath crashing upon him and stuff, and that's why this is prophetic of Jesus too. Then I said, verse 4, Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. Uh, uh, The earth with her bars was about me forever. That's, again, speaking of Jesus in hell. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Now, folks, I want you to understand what Jonah is saying. First of all, notice that Jonah prays past tense. I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. This is not just Jonah saying, well, I cried unto the Lord. Let me relate to you what happened while I was in the belly of the fish. I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. This is while he's still in the fish. As a matter of fact, let me finish the the chapter and then I'll prove it to you. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Notice what happens after he says all these things. And the Lord spake unto the fish and it vomited him out. Vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. These are all things that he's saying and the way that he's saying them when he's in the belly of the fish. And notice how he starts off again. I cried, verse 2, I said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord and he heard me. He doesn't say, and I hope he hears me. He says, and he heard me. Folks, I want you to understand something. The prayer of faith is past tense. Faith prayed effectively is in the past tense. Well, how in the world could we expect something to be before we've even done it? Because the Word of God tells you what Jesus has done for you. That's why the gospel of Jesus is the power of God to heal. Because Jesus has already accomplished everything that ever needs to be done. I cried unto the Lord by reason of my affliction, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heard my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet, that's the fact, I'm cast out of the sight of the Lord. Yet, I will look again toward thy holy temple. Why? Because that's the answer for him. Calling upon God, enlisting the power of God in his situation is his answer for deliverance. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul, the depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was a, were about me forever. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. He's saying that while he's in the belly of the fish. He says, you have brought up my life from corruption while well, I'm still in this fish. Again, he's talking about something that's already taken place. In his estimation, his focus is on what is already done, even though the physical circumstances contradict it. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. Now notice what he says about his circumstances, about being in the belly of the fish, with the weaves wrapped around his head and going down to the depths of the mountains and all that other kind of stuff. Notice what he says about it. He said, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. In other words, let me paraphrase that for you. That's Jonah saying, If I look at the conditions of the fish that I'm in, I'll die. And that's why a lot of people die sick. Because the word of God says that by the stripes of Jesus we are healed. Yet they look at their condition and say, I just don't understand how this could be happening to me. Jonah doesn't have any questions about how it's happening or why it happened. He's very simply saying, I know that I've got a choice. I can look at or observe the condition that I'm in. And forsake the mercy of God. He knows the mercy of God is to deliver deliver him from whatever situation he's in. But he knows the way to receive and take hold of that mercy is to look away from his circumstances and look unto something else. And isn't that exactly what Abraham did? He considered not his own body now dead when he was 100 years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's wound. It doesn't mean he denied the circumstances. It means he didn't focus on them. He looked at something else instead. Every day I'm sure he was tempted just like you and I are to look at our bodies and wonder, has anything changed? To try to assess our own situation. Has anything changed? Has anything improved? And the devil's right there standing on our shoulders, screaming in our ear, saying, well, you can see that your body hadn't changed. It's not any better than it was yesterday and that means nothing's working. It doesn't mean that at all. The devil knows what Jonah knew as well. If the devil can get you just like if he could get Jonah looking at his circumstances and considering the symptoms of his body, he could get you just like he could have gotten Jonah to forsake the mercy of God that includes deliverance and healing from whatever situation you're in. I love that Jonah called his circumstances lying vanities. Why are they lying? Because they're contradicting what God's word says. Why are they vanities? Because it's designed to affect your head, your thinking, what you think about yourself. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. Jonah didn't have, uh, he didn't pray this over and over and over again. Jonah is saying, here's my prayer, and then here's what I did after I finished my prayer. After I decided I wasn't going to look at my circumstances, how am I going to look at something else instead? How am I going to look at the promises of God? I'm going to sacrifice with the voice of thanksgiving. In other words, I'm going to thank God while I'm still in the middle of the fish. God hasn't spoken to the fish to vomit him out yet. He's still in the fish when he's praising God. Abraham considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. But looking under the promise of God was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham praised God for the son before the son was ever born, before the son was ever conceived. Abraham was praising God because he was looking at the promise. The promise of God that God made to him about having the child was more important to him than the physical circumstances in his body that told him he couldn't have one. So he did exactly the same thing Jonah did. Jonah in the middle of the fish praised God and thanked him for deliverance. Abraham in the middle of being too old to have children with his body not functioning in that manner anymore. Thanked God for the promise of the child that was to be. I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Now, after those things happen, after Jonah looks away from the circumstance, after he prays past tense for deliverance, after he offers the sacrifice of thanksgiving while he's in the middle of the fish, after those things, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto the dry land. Can you see why Jesus called the parable of the so or so in the word, the mystery of the kingdom of God? Because not everybody gets a hold of this. Can you see why Proverbs chapter 4 says, My words are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Because not everybody finds out this is the way the word works. Do you know how blessed we are? To have found the truth of God's word. To have found how to change circumstances and how to put the power of God to work in our own lives. Do you realize how blessed we are? Man, my parents didn't know this, did yours? Look how blessed our kids are. They can grow up knowing this. Wow. For my words are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. This kind of operation, understanding these principles of the word of God, this kind of operation, the attentive ear, the steadfast look, and keeping the word in the midst of your heart of the enshrined heart. These are the things that bring... Healing to all of our flesh, no matter what the circumstance is. Now let me finish real quickly, and that is with the last one of the three steps, and that is the enshrined heart. What does it mean to keep the word in the midst of your heart? What does that mean? Turn back with me to Joshua chapter 1. Again, God doesn't have a variety of methods or principles. He has one principle that's described to us in different ways. God's going to tell Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 the key to prospering or the key to having success in what God has told him to do. God has already told Joshua, I'll be with you just like I was with Moses. No man will be able to stand before thee all the days of your life, but now you've got something to do to make that come to pass. In the same way, God has told us the things that belong to us, but we have something to do with it to bring it to pass in our own lives. Well, what is that? That's the same principle of faith. Faith is necessary to receive anything and everything from God. So notice what the Bible says about this. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Here's the, the, the principle of success in every area. The principle of success for healing. The principle of success for prosperity. It works in every area of life. This book of the law, or we might summarize that by saying the word of God, shall not depart out of your mouth. The first part of the key to success in receiving from God is to speak God's word. This word of God, this book of the law, all they had was the, uh, the uh, law of Moses at that time. We have more, thank God. This book of the law, or this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. In other words, that means you keep saying it over and over again. The only way you can keep something from departing out of your mouth is to say it again. Shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now notice the Bible identifies confession of the word with meditating in your heart. Most people think of meditation as some Eastern religion thing where you sit in a lotus position with your legs crossed and you empty your minds. Folks, meditating as far as the Bible is concerned is not emptying your mind of anything. It's filling your mouth with God's word. Meditating in the word of God means speaking the word. Now the hope is you'll say it enough to where you'll think about what you're saying. But it still comes down to confessing the word. This word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now, why is that important? Remember in Matthew chapter 11, I think it's verse 30, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's the purpose of meditating or speaking God's word? To affect your heart. And remember, that's the third step. Keep my words in the midst of your heart. How do you keep God's words in the midst of your heart? Well, God told Joshua the key was to speak the word, to say it. So he just told him, in Proverbs chapter 4, the three steps really come down to this. To give an attentive ear, to hear the word, to see the word, and to say the word. For they, my words, are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. So this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. In other words, it's a continuous thing. It's not doing it once or twice, it's not doing it 50 times, it's not doing it a thousand times. Once you hit a thousand, that's the magic number and you never have to do it again. I've had people ask me for years, how many times do I have to confess the word? And I always respond, well, how much do you want it to work? Well, I want it to work big time. Well, then confess it day and night. Oh, Pastor Mike, that's too hard. Okay. Okay. What's the answer for that? I just want to say it a few times and make it work. Well, if saying it a few times would affect your heart, that would be great, but it takes more than that to change your heart. Your heart's filled with the wrong things. You've got to replace that and fill it with the right things. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. For what purpose thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein? James one twenty two says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The purpose for meditating in the Word is to be a doer of the Word, to do what the Bible says to do. Now what happens when that takes place, when we do that? For then, after speaking and meditating in the Word day and night and observing to do the Word, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now can we all agree that it's the Word of God that makes you prosper? Otherwise, why confess the Word? Can we all agree that it's the Word of God that brings you into success? Otherwise, why focus on the Word as being the key to success. But notice it's not just the Word apart from you. It's your decision toward the Word of God that enables the power of God's Word to make you prosper and to bring you into success in whatever area of life it is. Prospering and having success in the area of healing is to be healed. Confessing the Word of God concerning healing will make you prosperous to receive healing. Right? So it's, again, it's where we started. The Word of God is the power of God to heal. But it's our attitude and it's our actions toward the Word of God that determines whether or not it will bring blessing and success and, and, and profit us. It determines whether or not we'll be the ones to find it. Can you see that? No wonder Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. The Word of God is the power of God to save and heal and deliver. For all those that believe. Now all those that believe. In, includes the steps that we just read over in Proverbs chapter 4. About finding the word. Hearing the word. Having an attentive ear to the word. Having a steadfast look at the, toward the word. And having an enshrined heart. In other words. Confessing the word of God. Now folks you need to understand. Here's the promise that God's word makes to you. If you will do those three things. And those are not things that anybody It is outside of anybody's ability to do. Anyone can choose to do those things if they want to. If you will do those things, the Bible says that the word of God is life to you and health to all your flesh. It's impossible for it not to work if you work it. It'll work every time. may not work as fast as we want it to work. Time's always the killer, isn't it? Oh, but when? Well, I don't know when. I just know it will. But how long do I have to do this? Till it shows up in your body. Yeah, but I don't know if I'm willing to give it that much attention. Well, then you won't be one of the ones to find the word. It won't be life unto you and health to your flesh. But me, I'm going to stick with it till I see it happen in my body. And the Bible says it works every time. You've got a guarantee from God. For it's life unto those that find them. My words are life unto those that find them. And health to all their flesh. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to walk by faith. Thank you, Lord, for showing us that we can operate just like Jonah did in the most extreme of situations and circumstances. We choose to believe even as he did. We choose to understand the truth that they that observe lying vanity shall forsake their mercy. Folks, we choose, in the name of Jesus, we choose to not focus on our circumstances, not focus on our symptoms, but instead to focus on the Word of God. Father, we thank you so much that it brings life and health to all of our flesh. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.